Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum, and this is presented as always by the International Brotherhood of Magicians, an incredible organization, which uh, if you'd like to join, if you're not already a member, you just go to magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. It's super simple and uh, it's a great organization bringing you programming just like this. Uh, my name is Harrison Greenbaum. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Harrison Comedy. Pretty easy, Harrison comedy and this show is every monday and wednesday at 7 p.m if you're on the east coast 4 p.m if you're on the west coast and 6 p.m if you're in the weird middle uh but this has been uh, an incredible journey we're already on episode 15 if you can believe it we've interviewed some of the uh, the greatest magicians from around the world it's so exciting uh la last episode we had lance burden uh it was an incredible journey uh through his life and his incredible work and today we have such a special guest. I am so thrilled and honored to have this performer on the program. He is a legend, uh, and that is official. He's in the Society of American Magicians Hall of Fame, which just happened in January of this year at the SAM 2020 convention in Las Vegas. He uh, has a career that spans decades. He's a giant influence on so many performers around the world. Uh, he is the founder of the Mystery School and has been working tirelessly throughout this pandemic, bringing magic and teaching magic throughout this crazy time uh, via virtual shows and virtual classes, which we'll talk to him a little bit about in a bit. But it is so exciting to present to you, make some noise, get excited, clap your hands from your apartments. It's Jeff McBride, everybody. <laughs> this is the most magical entrance we've ever received. Well, very good. All, magic first. That's my battle cry when I work with students, especially for stage magic. Got to get your attention. They don't have the you don't have the attention of the room. You don't have the attention of the room. They can't follow you for the rest of the ride. It's great to be here, and congratulations on your fifteenth show. Bravo! Know this is crazy. I have made zeros and zeros of dollars. It's been phenomenal. Wow. Well, you know, it's like the entire world is now online and, you know, learning how to interface and use their magic through this technology. So thank you for bringing people together through the International Brotherhood of Magicians. I myself am a life member. I myself really support the International Brotherhood of Magicians. And you just mentioned Lance Burton. Every year we put on the Teen Magic Seminar and the Teen Se Magic Seminar is free. Uh, to any member of the, uh, that's a teen of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. That's a teen. And that's, that's going to be online this year, two days online. The Mystery School helps Lance host that every year for, for many years now. So there's a lot of people being very generous online, including the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Great. Oh, yeah, that's no, why I wanted to support this. We were promoting it uh, on Lance's episode, but yeah, if, uh, it's very easy. If you go to the IBM website, all the information is there. Uh, mm -hmm. There are still slots available. It's in July. It's two days. And uh, it's an incredible program. Uh, we have people also, by the way, tuning in from all across uh, the country and around the world. Around the world? Who? Now that you put in the chat oh, box, where they're from? Where, where are they from? I'm here in Vegas. And you're what? In oh, You're over here in Connecticut? Are you? I'm, I'm in New York. I, I wish I had enough money to be in Connecticut. <laughs> oh, okay. What part of New York? What part of New York? I'm, uh, I'm not too far from where you were. Um, I, I'm on 56th. I'm on 52nd and 8th, but I used to live on 57th and 9th as well. Yeah, actually, I know the area. an old playing card of yours. Uh, and the reason I thought it was cool was it has your uh, your address on it, um, the 305 West 52nd Street address. Oh, my God. That's right across from Studio Instrument Rentals, the famous rock and roll studio. Yeah. <laughs> right. was, was, did you put your actual address on these playing cards? 
I did. That was the, <laughs> we didn't have websites. Now, now, now we have websites. That's you know? much safer. I think it's it's pretty scary to hand out. You were handing out your address on the streets of New York City on well, the back playing cards. I would I would give them to select clients. Right. That, <laughs> that that is true. That is true. Now now that that could get you in a little bit of trouble these days. And we have we were talking about around the world. Uh, Linda Harrison, who's been watching all these episodes, she's amazing. She's in Perth uh, on the western part of Australia. Oh wow. Well, yeah. I have a lot of lot of friends down there, and I, I I got to perform for the Australian Magician Society for their centenary or something. It was great down there. Uh, and I have Sam Angelico is a dear friend of mine, and he's a FISM winner. In uh, 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 he represented Australia at the World Championships in Madrid and won first place. And the cool thing in Australia is the dancing canes rotate in the opposite direction that they do in the U.S. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Well, it's great to be here. And when yeah, you yeah, I want to dive right into it um, because okay. uh, I I I tried to read everything I can about you. Right. I found your first appearance in Genie Magazine, which was in 1992. Max Maven interviewed you, Whoa. and he started off by saying this. He said, "I think most readers are very familiar with your work, and the basic information about your career has been published several times. What I'd like to address is that you underwent a significant transformation several years ago." Which yep. was evidenced both on and off stage. Your work became richer, and I think you got rid of a lot of stress and anger. So yeah, I used to be an angry young man. <laughs> yeah, can you take me back and tell me what was the source of that anger? How, what, what, what was happening in there? You know, living in New York. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I can really. I lived in New York in the in the late seventies and eighties, which was you know, uh, Death Wish New York, Charles Bronson Death Wish kind of New York. So it, it was, was the Warriors New York. Right. I, I grew up in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York and got my beginning working at the Catskill Resorts. E you know, even in my teens, I was working at the Concord and Kutcher's and the Neville and all the big hotels up there. And then when I graduated high school, I went right to New York City. And New York City audiences were really tough on magic. So if, if I didn't combine all of these other skill sets of my martial arts training. And I was studying pantomime at the American Mind Theater. And I was taking dance with Betsy Hogg and uh, Frank Hatchett at the, you know, the different dance studios in town and combining all, just to get their attention. And I was working really rough rock and roll clubs and I developed a really aggressive style, which caught on. Um, my my uh, agent, uh, well, I was working, doing lots of shows in upstate New York. I think you have a picture too. I now, do. Lance, Lance started at, a, at what was it, uh, Tombstone Junction. I started at the Orange County Fair. We were doing the kind of the same thing. You know, Lance was doing, you know, parties and family shows, and so was I. And then we're doing five shows a day, you know, at, the, at this fair, doing a dove act outside. Yeah, I have a picture of that as well. Right. Oh, wow. You certainly do. That is the Orange County Fair. And that's me doing my impersonation of Jeff Sheridan doing his <laughs> Swan Lake rope trick. <laughs> I was going through my Jeff Sheridan phase at that time. I'm sure. I'm sure about it. I know that. And I love uh, in this photo that even the babies are into your magic, which is well, a very yeah, thing yeah, to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're a finicky audience. And that baby right over here is is wrapped. Yeah. Yeah. I worked 10 years. Ten years in a row, uh, you know, five shows a day. That was Jack Goldfinger. Excuse me. I'm kidding. Ah, well. grew up to be Jack Goldfinger. <clears throat> That's right. There, <laughs> there you have uh, proof in print. So we were both doing lots and lots of shows, and because we did so many shows, 
we got the polish on. You know, Lance says, you know, you've got to do a thousand shows. And he talks about your Hamburg and all of that. Well, this th this was the place I got my polish on. But I, I, in order to deal with the club audiences and the rock and roll clubs, because I was fronting a lot of bands, I developed this really aggressive style with this character and it kind of seeped into me. You know, this was, this was kind of armor. My masks were kind of armor for these audiences. And did you seek out the rock clubs or did the rock club, like, was it one of those things where that was where the work was coming from? So you adjusted or did something about what you were doing, have them call you? See, here's the thing. And, and, and I had the right act at the right time for the right venues. Why? Okay. Now, if you've read uh, Malcolm uh, Gladwell's book, Outliers, he talks about how environments shape talent and also ages. And uh, it's a wonderful book. My uh, theory is Illusionists come from the Midwest in places like Michigan and around Abbott's and rural areas because they have trucks, cars, and barns to put this stuff in. Close-up magicians are bred in inner cities where it's tight. You know, Tokyo has great sleight of hand people. You know, um, Madrid, you know, great sleight of hand people because you can't put a, you got a deck of cards and that's all you can fit in your studio apartment. Right, and you have to get on the subway with your stuff. So what you can fit in a backpack. Exactly. So I had to play big venues, really big venues and be able to get it in a cab or a taxi because no one has a car when you're a teen in New York trying to pay parking. I don't think so. And whatever you have, I, I lived in walk-up buildings. I had to carry it up. So <laughs> my my commando show that I teach was, was pack small, play big. And not only that, here's the other thing. In order to front bands, and that's where I got seen by the top agents, in order to front bands, you have to lurk, work in this little tiny strip in either in front of the curtain because the band has the setup or you're stepping over their pedals and mixers, you could not push an illusion on, you couldn't get a sub trunk on and off stage or a zigzag because there's too many wires and you have to work around the band. But I figured it out because I did, I did hundreds and hundreds of shows fronting bands. And that's where I got seen uh, when I was doing, uh, what was it, uh, Cafe Versailles and Club Ibis, these nightclubs in New York, which were kind of the French Follies Bergere style shows that were popular in the 70s. Every, every showroom in Vegas had one, so New York had one too. And I worked there 13 shows a week for 100 bucks. Wow. Like 13 shows a week. And they were full-on production shows with a dance line, a couple of acts, you know, an adagio dance team, gauchos, female impersonators, jugglers. And I was the magician in the show. 100 bucks a week wow. I got. And thir uh, 13 shows a week. And on, 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 on Sunday, my day off, you know, I had the choice of either collapsing or I would go to I would go to Catch a Rising Star and watch all the comics. That's where I would, you know, I got to know Gilbert Gottfried and all these people that were doing the same thing I was doing as many shows as they possibly could. And uh, that, that's that's what got me seen by Bill Barnes, my agent, who introduced me to um, Babs to Pass. <laughs> who was uh, Suzanne DePass, who the owner of Motown. Yeah. And we got my videotape. It was actually shot on film. Trans, you know, then we transferred it to a, like one of these giant tapes. And we slipped this. My, my uh, manager slipped this to Miss Ross's dresser, who was dressing her. And while Miss Ross was putting on her makeup, her dresser said, hey, let's, let's put on this tape of, of Billy Barnes' uh, new magician. And she was putting on her makeup and watching me in the mirror on a on a like a Betamax or something. And she said, "Call Billy Barnes. He's going to be my opening actor." And I was toured with her for four years. 
and we worked the round in the round a lot. And we worked some of the, you know, Caesar's Palace was where I made my Vegas debut. But we talked about this before. Uh, Diet, this was my big break after doing just thousands of shows and and crappy, you know, who's booking that sort of condition, <laughs> right? So I finally get to da 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 drum roll Radio City Music Hall, both with uh, Diana Ross and then with Cheap Trick and John Waite and still opening for bands and still I'm at the biggest theater in the world and I'm still getting like three feet in front of the curtain. Right. And by the there's way, if there's ever a band to be on the same marquee with as a magician, Cheap Trick is pretty, is pretty amazing. Yeah, right. And I worked with there and I got to be a favorite at Radio City Music Hall. And here's the thing. I was doing my masks, my kabuki, my cards, and no iMag, no video support. It's a 6,000 seat theater. Six, the biggest proscenium theater in the world, right? You're a full city block away, but the way they have it, the eye is incredible because the eye can like zoom in when it's lit right and see the show. And there's, I believe, and please correct me, someone in the, in the chat room, I think it's only two people have ever worked that stage with just a pack of cards. And it's me and Cardini. And I'm glad to be in that company. And you knew Cardini's wife, I believe, right? I, I had met Swan a number of times at the Tannins Jubilee. At the Tannins Jubilee, she was like a VIP. And she would always, you know, get up there. and Because I grew up near Gardner, New York, which that, that's where they retired. I'm a, I'm a big Cardini fan. <laughs> So that was my trajectory that got that got me to Las Vegas. And after I got to Las Vegas, and this is getting back to the crux of, of Max Maven's thing at the beginning, yeah, I I was headlining the Las Vegas Hilton in the mid '80s, the largest room in Vegas in the Bal de Moulin Rouge, which was the biggest show in Vegas. Lance was down the street at the Tropicana as an act, and I started an act, and then I headlined the show, and I had reached the kind of ceiling of what I re reached my childhood dream in my mid twenties like, uh, you know, 25 years old. And I said, there's got to be more than this. So I took about two years, kind of backed off the intense Vegas thing and just traveled around and, and studied uh, different spiritual traditions. I spent a lot of time with Native American, uh, you know, medicine teachers. And I went to a number of uh, ashrams and, and, and drumming. I met my wife at a drum circle. Where did you find these? I know all these people. <laughs> These are crazy. I was just I I, I these, now, these, are, these are close to 30 years old, these photos that you're looking at. I'm still in touch with every single person there. Right? Yeah, and yeah, I, I, that group. That's right. Look at the hair. Look at the hair. I, I still know all of these people. They still look at that. Wow, you did some research here. Right? <laughs> that's like Duran Duran of the magic right there. All drummers. That's either a drum circle or you're ready to go to Woodstock. It's perfect. I was at Woodstock. My parents took me to Woodstock in 1969. I was there. I saw Country uh, Joe and the Fish. I saw um, Santana, the afternoon set of Santana, because that's where I saw two drummers the first time. I was nine years old. I was at Woodstock. Was it to this age? Uh, that's that, that's when I for like first started getting into magic. That's yeah. That's that's little. That's my my sister Donna, and that's my brother Clay, who's a famous photographer. Clay Patrick McBride, a very famous photographer, and he does he does uh, all the stuff for Steve Cohen too. Does really good photos. And my sister Jackie, the family portrait. Yes. It's also wow. you, I haven't even, you have to give me these photos. I don't even have these photos. I don't have this photo. Where did oh, you get them? I found it through your sister's Facebook page. <laughs> oh my goodness. You've been doing some real sleuthing here. Oh yes. I'm like a private eye. 
about this picture is that uh, you're in a black, you're in all black, you still, you have a turtleneck and the rest of your family is very bright and sunny. Is, is that reflective of, of your relationship at that time? Were you a little bit, was, does that reflect kind of what you were doing? You know, I was really into masks and monsters and famous monsters of film land. And, you know, I was, I was, I was really into kind of shape-shifting out of being a human into a superhero. I mean, I still wear a cape. And boots. I'm a superhero, you know, superheroes don't like, you know, just wear jeans and stuff. Come on. You know, that's, that's for Clark Kent. He doesn't even wear jeans, you know? <laughs> well, this is great. Cause I also, it looks like you're in the cast of dark shadows and they're in the cast of Barnabas Collins was my hero. <laughs> I, I bought the dark shadows, Barnabas Collins game just to get the fake teeth. They were really good fake teeth. The vampire teeth. I feel like what you should do is Photoshop this, this Jeff McBride out and then just make, age your sister so that there's a series yeah. of photos. That's right. I was always into monsters and things. And, and now I, I've shed a lot of that. I moved a lot of that through the drumming and through studying with 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 people like Eugene Berger. And, and now, you know, those monsters don't scare me because I have the power of magic. Back, back by the power of light. I compel me back, back, back into my past. Ah! Well, See, uh, now, now, now it's all about the light. Well, one of the things that was so interesting is so you, you, you're you a New Yorker, you're living in an apartment, you're doing rock clubs, you have this sort of transformational spiritual uh, experience. You go to uh, Native American drum circles, you explore Japanese traditions, mm -hmm. uh, you're at the, the base of Mount Fuji, I think, uh, Fiji. Wow, you've been doing some, yeah, that's with Kitaro, doing an all-night drum vigil, yeah, on the solstice with, with Kitaro, playing taiko drums. And is it one of those things where you at at first you realize that you need to change you're you're changing your spirit, or is it one of those things where the magic starts first and then it changes who you are? You know, I think it's the the for me, I was searching for wisdom. That's what I was now now in retrospect. I was kind of um in a place where a lot of the elders in the magic community taught me skills to get me on stage, and I did that but I didn't have great skills off stage. And I had this great external persona, but I was wanting to fill my spirit a little bit. So I went around and and then I found Eugene Berger who kind of had the magic and the philosophy. And we'll just call it philosophy at this point. Yeah. Philosophy. Had the wizard beard. Yeah. And and I wanted I wanted to I wanted to spend more time with people like him, and that's why we created the, the mystery school. This is the thirtieth anniversary of mystery school this summer, and I wanted to spend some time with Eugene. So we created a retreat that was away from the city, away from a party environment, and that was yeah. And that's Jack Adams. Uh, Jack Adams, a great actor magician uh, in New York City, and he had a link to a, a, a this retreat center in upstate New York. And there's Eugene and. Abigail, who I had met um, at, a, at a conference that I went to uh, called Rites of Spring, we became friends. We were friends for nine years uh, before we, we became a couple and then married. And she was there. And, and she the reason I you know, was uh, gravitated towards Abigail is because she was an incredible drummer. She studied with Babatunde Olatunji and uh, one of the great African drummers. And so she would play music in my show and... I got to spend more time with people that had a rich interior life. Uh, that's what um, 
uh, Tamarez calls it in the Seven Veils lecture. He talks about you can tell if a magician has a rich interior life or if it's just about the flash magic on the outside or whether they actually have a deep understanding of life. And I wanted to spend my time with those people and cultivate those relationships because I'd kind of seen what the glitz and the glamour and and the nightlife of Vegas was. You know, you uh, this happened to Channing Pollock too. Channing Pollock said, the because he spent a lot of time teaching at the mystery school too. And he moved from uh, California to Vegas for the last part of his years. We had a special conference for him called Legends of Magic, kind of welcoming into the Vegas magic community. And he said, Jeff, I got into show business because I wanted to be where the fun was. And then after I got successful, everybody started to turn to me to supply the fun. Mm. And that was a lot of weight to bear. Johnny Carson said this too before he was tired, uh, before he retired, before because he got tired. He said, <laughs> "It's like it's like hosting a party two hundred nights a year, and you're the host." Right. And and some you know, and after so many years, I needed a break from that and needed to step back. And this is in my mid twenties. I had accomplished my childhood dream. Lance and I were working down the street from each other. Siegfried and Roy's over here. David Copperfield's there. I'm at the Hilton. Lance is down the street. I'm like 25 or 26. And I'm going like, I got to get off this carousel. And I took some time out. And that's why we created the Mystery School to spend time with Max Maven for a week. Not in a hotel. No phones. To spend a week with Orman McGill, the Dean of American Hypnotists and one of the great magicians of our time. And Charles Charles Reynolds, who was Doug Henning's uh, illusion consultant, Peter Samuelson, Stephen Minch, some of the deep thinkers in magic, and that's why we started to to draw kind of the philosophers of magic that were also performers. They had a beautiful expression of magic, but they also had a rich interior life and an understanding of of the great love that we can share through magic and the great healing it could bring. So magic brought me a great deal of healing when I was making a transition from an angry young man to kind of a balanced individual that could that could uh, hold good relationships with people, both teachers and students. Yeah, I mean, you might've been one of the first people to go to Las Vegas and become more spiritual. So that's also a record you might have. Well, you know, Las Vegas, has more light per square inch than anywhere else in the world. You know, there's also a lot of shadow and darkness, but I have a theory where there's light, there's magic. And thousands of years ago when the sun would set, people would come around the tribal campfire, play their drums, tell their stories and listen to the magicians tell of their incredible adventures. And the same thing happens even today. The sun sets, the people come to where the lights are to play music, to hear stories, songs, and to listen to the wonder workers tell of their marvelous adventures to other worlds. Where there's light, there's magic. So what we're doing, what the shaman thousands of years ago did, what the shamans of today still do, or what the showmen are doing, gathering people together in the light to share stories. Well, that is something I definitely, I wanted to talk about a little bit more because I think a lot of magicians are become skeptics. There's a lot of atheists in the magic community. You, they Because they know how magic works and magic has been used in the past, the like oracles of Delphi, the uh, the spiritualists in the 20s, magic has been used to give the appearance of real magic when it doesn't exist. Uh, but you you believe in real magic and how do you connect the skeptical brain of a magician to the, the 
the spiritual uh, belief of, of a shaman? Well, I don't try to do that anymore. Mm. People will have their own experience. I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. When people come to the mystery school, I teach magic. I teach good magic. That's, 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 and I leave the other stuff aside. I, there's no politics. There's no religion. There's no, I just, we just talk about good magic. And that's what we can agree on. Fellowship across differences, as Eugene Berger used to say. Fellowship across, because people have different points of view, depending where, if you asked me at 18 years old, what, that, what, what, what I would be doing today, I wouldn't have been able to tell you or hear you. So our life experiences leads us down the path of, of, of our, to, to, to wisdom. And I've always been attracted to magical wisdom. And that's why we call, that's our website is magical wisdom. I think people need wisdom in, in challenging times. And so much of the internet is, is peer to peer. And I learn from studying with masters. I learn when I spend time with Johnny Thompson. I learn when I spend time with Juan Tamarez. I learn when I spend time with Eugene Berger. I learn when I spend time in New York City with Frank Garcia and Slidini or out in California, you know, sitting watching Vernon work. And I learn from masters. And I like, I like that relationship. And just instead of, hey, everybody, hive mind, what's the best three tricks for strolling? Go. No. No. That's not my way. I want to seek experience not just popular opinion. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think one of the things that has come up a lot in, in when I read about you is the idea of finding a mentor and being a mentor and that sort of apprentice relationship as well. How do you, because you also, on the other hand, are, are a big stressor of original magic, creativity. How do you create a mentor relationship where you're learning from somebody else uh, without accidentally becoming a copy of that person? Well, early on, you have to imitate before you innovate. You have to be able to play the piano like the composer arranged those notes because there's a reason why the master did that and a reason you should play this be because it will teach you this, this, this aspect of music theory. After you master your craft, then you can develop you know, original material, but to put pressure on a student at the very beginning to be 100% original, you know, sometimes when, when I started, I was a top 40 kind of wedding band of magic. <laughs> I kind of and that's okay. And, and you know, there, there are people that go out there and they, they get a, a Kevin James bowling ball and they, they get, um, you know, uh, a hug kill and they get a Bill Abbott, you know, and they're all gem routines. But then after doing th those routines and maybe a snowstorm finale, you can't you got to do a snowstorm finale. And after you get your book, the audience is going to teach you, the audience is going to teach you how to make it your own if you're willing to grow. But you kind of have to get on stage with a Fantasio cane, giving it lots of throttle, you know, to make it disappear and do a Lance Burton match pull and, you know, do a couple of other people's things and a couple of Copperfield poses and, you know, whatever kids are doing today. And uh, the audience is going to tell you what what you need to do. I was so many versions of so many people. I had a Richard Ross clock act <laughs> before I had the mask act, but it was the Richard Ross clock act that, oh, masks, I can use masks. Oh, and it, but if I, if it wasn't for learning multiplying billiard balls and then seeing Richard Ross do the clocks and me kind of, kind of copying that, you know, now I, I have the clocks in, in my, uh, 
in my collection, by the way. So. Oh, by the way, when you mentioned the snowstorm, Peter Samuelson, who's watching, uh, he said, hey, now. <laughs> oh, no, no. There was a time when I did Peter Samuel. I mean, I, I mean, at a, you know, I did Peter Samuelson, oh, you know, doing it. And, in the and I always wanted to get inside. <laughs> no, that, because no one, I was even talking to David Copperfield about this a little bit. Everybody thinks, everybody thinks Peter has the best snowstorm. Untouchable. The yeah. story, the mood, the the whole thing. But the story and the macrocosm and the microcosm, there's this beautiful thing there. But he made it his own. He's not doing snowstorm in China. He's doing snow globe in Peter Samuelson's family room. Right. He's not doing, but he started doing snowstorm. He didn't come out of the, he, it's, thank, I, I spent a lot of time. Peter Samuelson was one of our special guests at Mystery School. Thank you for mentioning that because he was a guy that I wanted to spend more time with. Not so I could copy his routines, but so he could share some of his theory uh, on magic because he, he's one of the deep thinkers of magic. So he was, he started doing, this is an important teaching lesson. P Peter started doing Snowstorm in China. And then he did uh, Snowstorm, you know, at, at his family's, this, this, this beautiful piece of the snow globe. And I'm sure David Copperfield started doing Snowstorm in China too. And then he made it about the first time he ever saw snow, that, that thing. So everybody will have their individual take, but it takes time and polish. And I hear that we're actually in a little while going to take a tour of the Magic and Mystery School. Ooh. We should, can we show them a little bit about what's going on here? Oh, I don't have I I don't have the video loaded up, but I, I wanted to uh, go back okay. one second, which was uh, okay. Copperfield talking about the first time he saw snow, uh, even though he grew up in New Jersey, where it snows every winter. Well, you got to have a narrative, and 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 David has had more success creating narrative magic, so it creates the illusion. We we know things, and you know, but it's it's the combination of of storytelling and magic and when he copperfield created those incredible vignettes that was the real breakthrough no one had ever approached magic with the eye of a cinematographer ever really unless you go back to milliers really that was but there was this and then copperfield comes along and does these these beautiful narr narrative passages and he put his own stamp on just about you know, everything and innovated so much over, over his lifetime and still is with his museum. My God. I mean, have you visited the museum? I have not yet, but well, I, I've heard and seen pictures and it is, it looks unbelievable. You, you will see it as soon as the clouds pass and this is all over. It is one of the, it's heaven on earth. Now, how, you know, when did, were you a Tannins guy when growing up? Tannins Magic Camp or the, or yeah. the, the yeah. I was a Tannins Magic Camper. Yeah. Since okay. I was, so you you know that David has recreated 1960s 70s tannins at his shop. Oh, and we last year at Magic Camp, he uh, we we skyped him in and he gave us a tour of the tannins he had rebuilt and the photos that Tony Spina and others had hung on the wall are literally still there. Exactly. That's right. That's right. It's it's heaven on earth. It's it's heaven on earth. It's really great. I wanted to go back and we were talking about starting off as a cover band, but then going to original magic. How, how do you, how, I think a lot of magicians stay in that cover band phase for far too long. How do they, how do they decide? Cause like you, for example, your mask act, you're already, you were already in your twenties having developed this piece that was very original. No one was doing something that, I mean, it was an extraordinary piece. Yeah. 
However, I did a Jeff Sheridan act. I did a Lou Lancaster uh, money act with dollar bill manipulation with, you know, I, I still, you know, work on it. There was a, there's a book called um, Magic is a Hobby by Bruce Elliott, where there's Colma, ha Colma has a whole money act. Uh, and so I was, I was doing the money act in my teens and did it at the, the, the Tannins camp too. Oh, that's amazing. That's right. I, so I, I had many different acts. I thought the money act, I thought the money act was going to put me over the top. You know, you know, standing there producing handful after handful of bills. I thought that's what's everybody's dream. That's a dream act, right? Ah, you know, I did. I didn't have it, and I I performed that in New York City a lot. I I performed uh, um, a whole, you know, the the mime act. You know, for for some, before I came up with the mask was a mime and magic act. Very uh, inspired by Vito Lupo was a breakthrough artist that I'd seen. You know, and he went on to win FISM, uh, General Magic, with that Pierrot act of his. So everybody was looking for an original act, but you had to do conventional acts. But I had my Richard Ross Clock Act. I had my Jeff Sheridan Act. I had my Money Act. I had my Mime Act. And then finally the Mask Act when I started putting all of my other passions into my magic and and started fusing my other skills so it became you know multi multi multi-dimensional instead of just like a flat magic act most magic acts that i had seen had just stand on stood on stage and didn't like manipulation you know and and i was one of the very first magicians to like really move through the stage really rock the stage with movement and that's because i had this only this little strip to work a lot of times so i had to move back and forth like a plate spinner you know because just to stand here is boring, and you know people want to move in clubs. They want to they want to look they want to look around. They want to get energized. So that that's how I developed that style. So you know, and, and right now, young magicians, any magician that is watching the show has an opportunity to use this new medium of of, of streaming online or platforms, whether it's Zoom or any other platform, to get your repetitions and to get your shows. Every conversation, every conversation you have with a person on the internet is one more opportunity where you can work on your magic. And there's some incredible uh, advantages to, to this medium, to, to working in this frame, this proscenium. This is our proscenium frame. There, and, and there's limitations. And I think a good magician can work in the real world, in real time, not just sweetened kind of TikTok, Instagram magic that's a little sweetened, but they can work in this this frame and also on stage. So I think this is an interesting interesting time that we're looking at because you can you can do stuff in this format that you could just not possibly do before. Like I'm setting up tricks right below me so I can. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah i, I guess there's perspective illusions too perspective illusions like let me see let's okay i'm gonna produce a little demon here for you <laughs> you can't really do that outside of this medium I think I want to make a, a repeatable GIF of that moment and use it for when certain people call me. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. oh, my God. 
<laughs> but I think it's interesting because we're talking about doing virtual shows. A lot of them are going on the internet. Some of them are there on video. And again, with that idea of, of imitating it, you, you want, I think we, it, it's trying to put, I think that the magic needs to push people more towards, yes, you, you might not want to learn your chops when you're 15, but if you're still 30, 40 doing other people's acts, it's, there's a part where you need to grow and do start working on that, that unique thing that is original to you. And, and I think the mystery school does a really good job of pulling that out of people. For, for people that want it, for people yeah. that want it, you know, do you ever read that blog, The Jerks? I, I have, yes. He says a lot of interesting things. And like, not everybody aspires to be a professional on stage. Some people have a beautiful time just kind of freaking their friends out, and that's okay too. I used to be on a bandwagon going around to magic lectures going, if you're not doing magic every day, you're not a magician, you're a hobby, you know. And I don't, I don't really believe that anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is why. If you go to the opera, remember the opera? <laughs> if you go to the opera, <laughs> most of the people in the audience probably don't sing. But they probably know all the stats on opera players, you know, the way the way, you know, baseball fans may not play baseball, but they know everything about the players and and, and the clubs and everything. If you go to the opera, they may know all about the sets, who wrote the the opera, all the different singers, the history of people that played this role. And that's the same thing in magic. Not, I don't think every magician needs to be original. I think everybody, uh, everybody needs to get what they need from magic. However, when they decide to become a professional and join the professional ranks, now, now the game changes. You can sit home and read Genie Magazine and be in your magic club and cool and be a collector and be a, you know, a historian and that's great. But if you're gonna put yourself out there as a professional full-time magician, the stakes, I think, do change. And then the question of originality arises or a question of acceptance or being labeled as a cover band. There are some cover bands that go out and that's what they need at a wedding. They don't want originals. They don't want your original music. They want to hear, we are family. They want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what, and some magic shows are like that too for different venues. So this is a big, big discussion, but I think I think you hit the nail on the head. When, when you rise up to a professional, the game does change. And that is what we do. We help the student in our school where they are at. You want to do school shows. Great. We'll help you with your school show. You're a retired executive that wants to do charity shows. Okay. You're probably not going to need to do FISM winning material. You're <laughs> going to go around. <laughs> you know, it would be nice. And, and we'll, we'll show you FISM winning material and, and teach it to you. But, you know, that may not be your calling. You might be happy you know, doing a cut and restored rope, a silken egg, and linking rings. And that's because that's what you need. And if you do that enough, your originality will seep into it. So we help a lot of people that come to our school. Some people come to our school that are 12 years old, and they turn out to be Matt Franco. Yeah, who was on this program and is a delight. He's, he's incredible. Right. He was here 12 years old. We had no idea. And we still, I was talking on the phone with him today. We've become friends ever since, you know? And, you know, he had seen me on TV, I you know, 12 years old, but I tr treated a 12 years old with the same respect as I do with a retired businessman that wants to do charity shows. 
you know, and there's some people are wanting to win a competition. So we work on their competition act. People like Aaron Crow came from our master classes and then he won FISM with a no talking mentalism act. <laughs> Go figure. And then went on to tour with the illusionists. So I help people where they're at and, and, and encourage them to stay in contact with me because sometimes that vision changes. Okay. You know, I am, I want to be a part-time pro and do shows. And now I want to work the magic castle. Right. <laughs> so people's vision changes. They go, you know, I can get on stage. I've been doing pretty good. I I think I'm going to enter that gold medal competition. Yeah. And then we can help them there. And some people have other goals. Some people, you know, just want to go out and do family and friends parties. Some people just just want to do cruise ships. That's that they want to get on a cruise ship. That's what they want to do. They want to go see the world. They want that those two different 45 minutes and the 15 minute bumper and we can deliver that too, you know, yeah. but it takes a lot of work. So we meet the student where they're at I, and I, I, incredible I, I, online presence because we have all of the online shows, you know, people are going, well, I got my first couple of zoom shows this week. We, our mystery school has been on nine years. We've nearly 500 hours on zoom doing shows. Unbelievable. Of, of different content. Each hour is unique. We're not re repeating. And zero hours of pants. No, <laughs> well, no we, we always wear pants. That's it. And the, um, the, the, all, many of the recent episodes since the pandemic are available online for free at magicalwisdom.com or mcbridemagic.tv. And you'll see last, uh, Monday night we did Charlie Fry uh, interview talking about the great quarantini phenomenon and how we develop material yeah, how we develop material specifically for the internet we had max maven on who talked about gave us the complete history of touch the screen magic from its beginnings back in this like 1600s where these these different kind of principles appeared evolved one person at a time that's right <laughs> And so he gave us the complete history of that. And, and so we have some really exciting episodes that are all free that delve into these things. Well, I, I appreciate that philosophy a lot because I think I might I might still be in my angry New York face. So I still I still have my No, I, you're there. I, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I see it every day. It's that, it's that bitter New Yorker. One of the things that came up that I is great because you are such a professional, everything you do, even this, uh, you, your backdrop is perfect, everything is great. I had heard a story from a mutual friend of ours. He was actually a counselor at Magic Camp when I first met him, Scott Hitchcock. And he described uh, you guys trying to get to Monaco to do uh, a performance there and the plane being delayed, realizing you might not have time to do any uh, tech. And you, I, I, well, I don't, I'll let you finish the story. Well, we were, uh, it was uh, uh, the Grand Prix de Magie de Monte Carlo for Princess Stephanie and Prince Albert of Monaco, the royal family. And I had the good fortune of doing this uh, four times over the span of about a 25 year period representing the United States. So we had a big illusion show in a, in a really big circus tent theater where they have the, the, um, the circus Olympics, the, the, the Grand Prix of circus. And uh, I remember Brunette was the guy that was uh, producing the show. And our planes were delayed. We're in the airport, and we know that we're not going to get a rehearsal. So what we did, we were um, 
delayed uh, quite a few hours. So we put a bunch of tables together. And who was there? It's you and Scott. I think Tobias is there as well, right? Uh, Luna Shimada was in the show then. Uh, Steve Turner, Steve, uh, Steve Vincent was in the show. And if there was anybody else in the show, I'll think of them in, in a moment. But uh, Scott was there and Scott was lead assistant. And what we did is we gathered. I think I have somebody who was at this rehearsal and in the show. Uh, Jen Adams is oh, there. Oh, Jen is there. Jen, yes. You're, you're muted right now. So if you could just hit the unmute button. We'll I was just talking you. about your dad. <laughs> Look at you. So surprised. That's beautiful. Now, Jen, I met Jen at the the, the uh, retreat center in Monroe, Ananda Ashram, back when her dad was there. Yep, he was definitely one of the uh, directors there, one of the founders of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we met before Mystery School happened. But yes, I was, in fact, uh, we were in Nice, actually, in the airport in Nice, laid over. Yeah, we were laid over, uh, exhausted, all of us really tired already, um, and realized that we were going to miss our first tech rehearsal. So we got uh, pushed all of our tables together. Um, in fact, I was just digging through my Facebook because somewhere I have a photo of the table. Uh, we got a fast food tray. And then we got salt and pepper shakers and packets, and each one represented each one of us. And then we put them down exactly where they were supposed to go. And we had, yeah, we had someone humming the music, uh, and then we'd move our little pieces where they were supposed to go, and we just rehearsed uh, in the best way that we could. It was uh, like the war room, like those night, the, the, the World yeah. War II war rooms where they're yeah. pushing tanks around. But you know, uh, you know, uh, was, I think uh, the, the stilt dancers were the salt shakers. As I remember. Yep. yep. Yes. 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 We're the, the crossing salt and pepper kimono girls. And then, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, wow. uh, it was it, I mean, we made it work. Jack Adams, right? Yes. So, yes. How, did you know Jack first, or uh, how, how, what's the connection between Jack, Jen, and you? Well, I met, uh, you know, Jack was legendary in New York as being the actor magician. Anybody that was, you know, studying theater, like I was studying theater, Jack was the guy that was the, the professional actor and uh, did a, a, an amazing show, The Great Merlin Magic Show. And we became friends because he was one of the people that was a wise elder teacher. And he not only did an amazing show, but he had a rich interior life. And, and so I gravitated towards him because he just wasn't somebody that was full of crap show business guy looking out for themselves. They were actually a person <laughs> yeah. that cared. That's true. Right? No, it's true. That's and, very true. And then through Jack, I met, was it, uh, uh, I met Jenny and the, and the rest of the, the family. And uh, we became. You're one of the three people I still allow to call me Jenny, by the way. <laughs> huh? It's to everyone else. No, no, it's just something. It, only people who've known me for years still call me Jenny, and and you're certainly still allowed to. <laughs> and, and Jen, now you're, you also do a lot of comedy as well, right? Um, so yeah, I uh, I transitioned from doing magic into doing stand-up and I spent 20 years in that okay. business. Uh, and then um, uh, I, I had a daughter and realized that I'm not traveling anymore. Um, and uh, I opened my own venue. I live in Boise, Idaho. I opened a venue called The Lounge at the End of the Universe. Uh, and it, it very much... 
uh, keeps the spirit of Mystery School and of my dad alive. It's a place for new performers and existing successful performers to come. We collaborate together on projects. Uh, we try weird new things with each other um, that are, uh, uh, I think, innovative. And uh, and and you know, it's it's a it's an open, very encouraging space that is for creativity. We we don't. Uh, re I mean, really, the, the, our motto is this is the place where grudges come to die. Uh, oh. we, it's true. And we and and if you're not willing to participate, which is where dreams come to die. <laughs> I've experienced that one before. Um, but uh, but but we 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 get together in the spirit of creativity, which we all put uh, uh, something that is bigger and higher than ourselves that we are, uh, you know, kind of the the, the, the servants of. Um, and, uh, and, and we make theater together and we make uh, art together and, uh, and it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's beautiful. Oh, I love that's that so great. much. I love, and are there any, uh, fun stories you could share of, uh, of Jeff on the road? Oh man. <laughs> I'm not sure how many are appropriate. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> right. I know. It's like, Hey, oh, I think uh -oh. you erase your memory. I don't think that I, only I, I, in black. I, who are you? Uh, no, um, God, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, oddly enough, what, what comes to mind is, um, it was our first year that we did mystery school at St. Vincent's college, um, which I think was off the Sprain book, Brook Parkway in New York. Uh, and, uh, or I don't know, they all look the same to me. They're all scary death roads. Uh, but we, um, we were all sitting around at the big sort of opening circle and there was like this dead squirrel uh, in the field. And I'm sure Jeff remembers this. We, we'd all worked really hard to, to put the whole thing together and get the rooms all right. And there's all this coordination and, and all these things going on. And, and here we are at this big opening circle. And there was just the smell of death uh, uh, in the air. And, and nobody wanted to address it. And so like, here's sort of the head guy of everything who like walks up and just like picks it up and just flings it off to the side. And is like, okay, let's keep going. And, and we did. Um, I, I, and I, I, I mean, it's just kind of a perfect example. And I think he probably, this, this, this came up through all of uh, uh, the experience that we all had of like, yeah, sure, you get to be the person on the stage, but also you're gonna bring someone else's table on, or you know what, you might be digging this bathroom trench out in the woods, um, but we are all in this together and, uh, and and level doesn't exclude you from still being a part of the community and still doing whatever needs to be done. That's right, there were, that, that's right. There was uh, an incredible, at, at those at those early mystery schools, an incredible leveling of, of status. Of course, there was the master teachers, but uh, there was a sense of camaraderie that, was, that wasn't present at other magic gatherings. Yeah. Where there's a lot of posturing and people trying to outdo each other and competition, competition, status mm -hmm. competition. We were all in this together, so we were never not not worried about getting our hands dirty and doing the work. No, it was about collaboration over competition. Yeah, there you go. Yes. There you go. That's right. And it was about communication instead of controversy. Yes. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. I know you did it last Thank time. you for Love inviting you. me. This was fun. I want to plug. Uh, I love you so much. Is that the 
the address for the uh, that is it loungeboise.com mm-hmm. are you guys doing anything during quarantine that they could uh um yes as a matter of fact uh we started about eight weeks ago we uh painted the entire interior green uh we have two live stream techs we live stream all of our shows uh we started putting art classes online and uh djs online and all kinds of stuff uh, um, we, we haven't really done any, uh, magic live stream yet, but, um, it looks like that, uh, void is being filled really well. And that's exciting. Uh, we had a comedy competition on just uh, all kinds of stuff. So, so we're, we're pivoting and, um, you know, basically reacting to what, what the situation is as well. So, um, it's, it's been a really fun adventure. Uh, we're, you know, monetarily, it's not as exciting as it used to be, but, but the creativity level has just been upped by the need for it. So all of these people have shown up, uh, from our tribe and they're all interacting and working together and we're making it go. Good. I'll come and do a spot. That would be amazing. I get 10%. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. This was a he's, lot of fun. He's I'm stick around and watch the rest. He's booking. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you can check it out at loungeboise.com, B-O-I-S-E.com. And uh, by the way, talking about the spirit of collaboration and uh, in your first interview in Genie, 1992, Max Maven asked you, who are the young magicians to watch? And uh, you gave this answer. You said, Marco Tempest is a Swiss, is Swiss precision. He has a commitment to perfection in every detail and his dynamic movement style makes for impeccable magic. Guess what, Jeff? We have a surprise guest. That boy's all grown up and he's here for you now. It's Marco Tempest, everybody. Yeah, wow, Marco. I was hey, just Jeff. talking about you today. I feel a little bit like an imposter being this being in this show. Well, thank you for inviting me, Harrison. But like, right. yeah, like hearing the whirlwind story of your life, kind of. Yeah. It's, it's just um, I'm, the one thing I would want to start with is kind of gratitude, I guess. I'm, so my background is I'm I'm, I'm from Switzerland, and uh, which is kind of has kind of a limited influx on creative inspiration, you could say, right? So when me and Martin back in the early 80s heard about this magician which starts his act by screwing off his head and (laughs) shooting cards into the theater and then being able to possibly meet this guy and see him perform at FISM, this was like, um, my state of mind back then was like, there must be more to magic than what it currently is in Switzerland. And Jeff was kind of this, this like beacon of, 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 of inspiration to say that anything is possible in magic. You can do whatever you want if you're, if you do it right. Right. So, so, and then maybe to go one step further, it's like when I had the chance to then meet Jeff, uh, we were able to, I was able to meet Jeff uh, as tenants Jubilee in New York. We're able to perform together at Hunter college and being kind of exposed to this, this kind of, openness like just as it as jeff did in this as you did jeff in this in this conversation now you're so openly giving credits to everybody you're praising everybody who has talent you gave me the key to your apartment in new york and you need a place to stay you know you can stay here like oh i'm listening to this music it's really good you you want to have a copy of that cd it's like just this this generosity of bringing people along Mm -hmm. recognizing their talents making introductions i got introduced to to my to my agent as uh, through Jeff, he was like so wow. generous to like share 
back then it was this little company which was formed around Jeff McBride, which was O'Leary, Fitch and Beckwith. And I think Tobias, I saw him in the, in the, in the chat right now, mm-hmm. kind of to be that generous to like, to bring another magician into, into the fold and share, share your, your kind of your most intimate relationships as far as business development with somebody just on a hunch. We were really, we were not close friends back then, but like Jeff had this kind of, I think he saw something in us, we, which, you know, back then I didn't see myself yet. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I feel a little bit like an imposter, but great to be on and, you know, oh, thank you, Jeff, for, you know, all the, all the inspiration and, 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 you know, helping kind of grow the thing I, you know, became now. Yeah, you're yeah, you're out of this world right now. Yeah. You, he also, by the way, wore the same uh, turtleneck that you wore uh, in this photo. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> is him trying to uh, dress like a young a young Jeff McBride in dark right. shadows? Yeah. Uh, but Marco, uh, Mark D'Souza, who's also watching, uh, said, "Ask Marco about United Artists." Okay. Yeah. So. We had this act, so my, my friend Martin Gautet and myself, we created this act, which was one magician with four hands. <laughs> and um, we incorporated breakdancing because that's how we met, how Martin and I met. We were like dancing on the street together. And we financed this act by actually doing street performances and collecting money and you know busking and uh, creating this act. And it was... Uh, it was this kind of thing you put together and you're, it feels like you're onto something, but you only really know once you expose it to an audience. It was just this one thing, it was just the right moment, the right mixture of like traditional magic and popular culture. And it, it just worked really well for us. And uh, maybe one anecdote from that was uh, we, we tried to enter FISM with the act and it didn't work. We were rejected by the Swiss magic society they said it was not magic enough it was just dancing and we were not really qualified uh, to to represent uh, like switzerland at fism so um, i went ahead and forged the signature on the entry form and we uh, we got called out while we were performing at fism in madrid uh, on stage so we were disqualified while we were on stage but well, we got a huge standing ovation and the amazing Randy was there and he saw us and he actually brought us. He believed in this. He's like, you have to come to America. This is like, don't worry about them disqualifying you, you know, just come. This is going to work so great. I, I have an audience for you. And he brought us to the US. We stayed at his house for a couple of months. We drove, drove across the country to New York where we met Jeff McBride and had a show together at Hunter College. And from there on, it was kind of this, I would say maybe the missing link for us was like self-confidence. Like we had all that stuff and it kind of felt right, but we were insecure or maybe to the outside world, it looks like we were stuck up about it a little bit, but, but to have this audience and to see, like to have our idols around us and like somebody like Jeff McBride say, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is so wonderful. You know, you guys are, you know, that makes all the difference. I think when you start out, it's really, so to have a school like Jeff has right now where people can come and learn the craft, but also have this, to have a mentor, somebody, you know, who sees the talent in you and, and believes in you, that's worth 
so much like uh, you, you, cannot you're... be over uh, not be underestimated how much that means right? mm -hmm. people need encouragement and and they don't get that so much from their peers sometimes but when especially comes, when you're young right you're right and when, when it comes from somebody that's been in the business a little bit longer you know it's 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 one thing if your buddy says hey you're great but it's 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 different if, if johnny thompson says that's great or you know channing pollock says that's great or siegfried says that's great or somebody saying i want to help you with your career i want to give you a break I want to. I want to yeah, give you the key to my apartment. I want you to meet my manager. I want. To I don't know if that's a great gift because you also gave that address out on every playing card you uh, you handed to the. Right, and the door is open. Three oh five West Fifty Second Street. Just knock. Go on in. The address. Enjoy. Go on in. Apartment one A. It's just knock. Just go in. The door's open. Hell's Kitchen. That's amazing. And Marco, do you have any other uh, memories of, of Jeff that you want to share? I think that's kind of sums I mean, that's, it up. I mean, it's like it's amazing. We, Jeff and I, we live kind of in different spaces of the magical universe. And for that, our interactions to me certainly were super meaningful whenever they happen. Yeah, yeah we so. just got to work at Ma Magic Live together on a nice yeah. show. <laughs> that's amazing. I, you know, I, I love that because uh, I think the young magicians who are watching this, Marco, you're you're this tech-driven guy. You were just on Britain's Got Talent, which if you guys have not seen that clip, you should absolutely watch. Uh, he killed it with uh, drone magic, mind-reading drones, unbelievable stuff. Jeff is doing a, a more traditional, old-school, sometimes a throwback stuff where he's using ancient traditions. And even though there are differences, there's that link in history where one person encouraged the other, and that's part of the brother and sisterhood of magic that I think makes being a magician so special. That's right. That's great. Thanks for bringing us together again. This is this is your life. Yes, exactly. Marco, thank you so much. I know you have another show to get to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Make sure you great watch seeing you, Jeff. Yeah, it just Good went online. Too. Marco, that was a great act. Look it up. Tempest and Cote. Yeah, I, I got to check that out. I love it so much. And by the way, somebody just said 1A is my current address. I don't know if he lives in your apartment, but evidently it's uh, it's on the market. Okay, there you go. 305 West 52nd Street. That, that's the place. I spent like 19 years there on and off uh, in Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, I don't miss it at all. Around the world. I, I, I know recently you did uh, a tour in China. Uh, we have, we have an, arena, an arena tour of China. What, how large are the audiences for that arena tour? 5,000, 7,000. And was yeah. this, how pre-corona was this? Are, are, you, are we finding out now that this tour was patient zero? No, this, 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 this was a year before that. Gotcha. The year before that. But we've been going to China. China's a big magic market. And we have, you know, Greg Gleason does an amazing illusion show. And I do the in-one sort of manip audience participation. We had a great cast. We had Will Bradshaw uh, and... Uh, uh, Bill Cook as our two kind of magician uh, stage assistants, and they also did their own solo spots. Dean Gunnerson was the uh, escape artist, awesome, and Arian Black. You know, she did her her dove act and and illusions in the show too. And Tobias Beckwith was really the driving force that made that happen as as manager and you know production manager of the show to make that happen. That, that's a lot. It's hard work to be able to do that. 
to be able to take the a big show like that on the road. But we were doing really, really, really big places. And you know, when this when this cloud passes, we'll be back on on the road with Las Vegas Magic Stars. Yeah, it's a it's a great poster. I love uh, everything about it. But I want to hear somebody else's side just in case, because we have Greg Gleason with us, everybody. <laughs> Hey, hey Jeff, how you doing? How you guys doing? How's it going, Greg? How was the tour in China with Jeff? It was a blast. It was uh, it was a lot of work, but uh, it, it it was fun doing arenas. It's completely different than doing uh, you know smaller theaters. When you walk out and there's five thousand people, it's just amazing. And uh, we had a good time. I want to tell you a quick story about Jeff first before we do anything about China. It was. It was, I was in high school and there was a magic magazine. It was called the magic magazine, but not Stan Allen's magic magazine. It was called, it was called the magic magazine, but Byron Walker, Byron Walker. That's right. And you, and you actually bought it at the supermarket or the grocery store. And I opened it up and there was this picture of this young magician. And me and Jeff are pretty close to the same age. And I go 16, 16. Yep. And that's how old I was when, when I picked that up. And uh, what was funny was I go, I should be friends with this guy. And uh, it took 30 years for our paths to pass to cross. But after we're, we're great friends and we hang out before the quarantine, usually at least once, at, at least, least once a week, once a week. Cause when we live, what, five miles yep. from each yep. other. Right. And Greg works out a lot at Wonderground. That's right. And was on our first virtual Wonderground that we had last month. We're going to have another one on the 21st. Oh, we're, we're, the, we're the only show open in Las Vegas. That's fantastic. Although I don't know if Greg's collection compares to yours because he has a cabinet to his left that is literally empty. That's no, that's a that's a water torture cell. Oh really? There's oh no, wow. There's no there's no water in it. <laughs> there's a milk can right here. Oh, that's incredible. That's it, right. Wow, yeah. have you used that water torture cell in the past? I no, I never have, and I don't think I ever will. That's a, a young man's game. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I've never been in it, but I have uh, no desire, I think, to go underwater for that. But I, I know we were talking a little bit earlier about China. I, you guys, I, I heard, had very different experiences. Well, I well, think it's, it's, it was hot. It was hot. It was hot. It was very hot. I think it was probably the hottest summer they had had in a long time. It was over 100 degrees almost every day with the, with the humidity probably pretty pretty close. And uh, what I was telling Harrison a little bit earlier today, Jeff, was our acts are so different. Um, the, all the logistics of, of setting up my illusion show in China is a whole nother story. And, and I've, it wasn't the first time I was in China, so I, I knew what to expect. I had uh, done a contract for six months in China before, and I had done uh, Happy Valleys. And what happens in China is right after the show, they go, okay, show's over air conditioner goes off and the lights go off. And, <laughs> and I, I remember one time it was in Happy Valley. Every, I got there. I knew what was going to happen. So on the first day I said, okay, on the last show, on the last day, you have to leave the lights on and leave the air on. We have to take care of our props. We have to pack them up, put them in the cases. And uh, every day they said, no problem, no problem, no problem. We get to the last day. We problem. finish the show. The air is off. We're taking apart all of my props out in a parking lot with car lights. They had they had to turn on car lights so we could see the the part the pieces to take them apart and put them in the cases. But that, 
no business like show. That doesn't even touch me. Who's booking that? That's not even close to what happened on our tour. On our tour, one of the one of the arenas was like. Oh, this is amazing story. How they ever had a venue like this built is beyond belief. Go ahead, Greg. The whole the whole main floor of the arena is like three stories up. It's like you know the the movie Rocky where he runs up the stairs. That's how you get into the arena. And there's no elevators. There's no ramps. There there is no way to get the props up to just the the audience level, let alone the stage level, except for cranes. And, uh, you know, we're doing, these are one-nighters. This isn't like we're, you know, getting in a week before and setting up. We have to set it up that day and do the show and strike it that day. But the cr cranes is one thing, but the space we had, to, the crane was, there was literally a jungle six feet behind the arena, six feet. So the faces, the crane would go up and it would get our props. And I'm talking, you know, not little props. My helicopter case alone is maybe nine feet long and five feet wide and six feet tall and, you know, a thousand pounds. And we're trying to crane things between a jungle and an arena in the dark in a hundred degree weather. And that's, that's how I remember China on that tour. <laughs> who's, who's booking that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, we got a great idea from Mark D'Souza who said you should use the water cell as an aquarium. Uh, <laughs> I think they tried that at the Magic Castle, one of those like uh, aquarium shows, built yeah. the Houdini Aquarium, and I heard it leaked a little bit. Yeah, evidently it holds up just long enough for the cameras to get a, a shot of it, and then as soon as the cameras go off, you're on your own. Oh, that's amazing! I love that. I think you should rename. If you do the tour again, you just call it Schwitzing in the Dark." I think that would be a. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful title. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Harrison, good to see you, Jeff. Talk to you guys later. Thanks so much. Oh, this Greg, is your Jeff. life. And now, uh, Diana Ross. No. Uh, oh. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I always end every show um, because a, a lot of young magicians are watching this show, and you're one of the best magic teachers out there. Thank what you. is a piece of advice that you haven't already given over the course of this great show, but what is a piece of advice that you would give a young magician right now who's who's learning magic? Well, study and spend personal time with masters. It's one thing to be able to just learn from books or DVDs, but you will get a different quality of magic history, of lineage, of mentorship by by studying with a master and it starts with just an email just hi and that's how it started with eugene just a little note i just wrote him a little note and today it's an email so if they're young magicians or old magicians because i work with magicians any age just like i had my um uh address on my card years ago i am jeff at mcbridemagic.com jeff at mcbridemagic.com and just start a conversation and we'll point you in the right direction whether you're young whether you're old whether you're professional or just passionate hobbyist or enthusiast uh, that's amazing and and i think it's a testament that you are such an inspiration to so many people uh and truly deserving of all the awards and success that you've gotten so i 
Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to go to the mystery school, it's magicalwisdom.com. If you want to go to mcbridemagic.tv, there's also a, it's a great resource to check out as well. Jeff, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for all you do for, for magic. I love it. Thanks for what you're doing too. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Wow, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Jeff. Jeff McBride, everybody. Unbelievable. Uh, what a fun uh, evening with an incredible legend of magic. Uh, and thank you for tuning in. We have people literally from all around the world watching. Uh, Linda in Australia saying thank you, Jeff. We had Tina Leonard before, uh, who's a phenomenal magician. Scott Wells is in the house. Jen Adams is still there. She's amazing. Thank you so much for doing the show as well. Uh, and a huge thank you to everybody who popped in. Marco Tempest, Jen Adams, and Greg Gleason, all wonderful people. And I appreciate their time so much. And of course, a giant thank you to Jeff McBride for being our guest, as well as all the other people who helped me with the research, Tobias Beckwith, Scott Hitchcock. Uh, thank you so much too for lending your stories uh, and your time. And a huge thank you to the International Brotherhood of Magicians, the IBM, uh, the President Alexander, who has been so incredibly supportive of this show. It is every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're on the East Coast, there you go. Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. EDT, 4 p.m. PDT. Uh, and you can join the IBM magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Harrison Comedy. We have an incredible lineup for next week. Can't wait for you guys to see that announcement. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much again. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. And this has been Who Books That? We'll see you here again on Monday. Who books that? I'm singing the song. I'm singing the song. It's the song that I'm singing.